Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you are joining us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We don't have any good martinis for you, but we got two great sponsors today. First, we've got expressvpn.com slash martini. We'll tell you all about them in just a little bit. Then there's also Gabby. If you give them two minutes, they'll be able to match your existing auto or homeowner's insurance policy against all the others. And you can find out how much you can save. That's Gabby.com slash martini. So we'll get to both of those in just a little bit. Jim, like I said, have no good martinis today. We've got two bad ones. And the first bad martini is breaking news. Uh, This is Dan Patrick from My Money, the greatest sports center anchor of all time back in the 1990s. But he's been gone for a long time from Sports Center, but uh, he's been a radio host for a long time now. Today, breaking big news about the Big Ten and beyond when it comes to college football and COVID, and none of it's good. Here's the information I got uh, almost an hour ago. The Big Ten and Pac-12 will cancel their football seasons tomorrow. The ACC and the Big 12 are on the fence. The SEC is trying to get a delay to have teams join them. The SEC is looking at exclusive TV contracts. So once again, then I followed up with my source and I said, so the Big 10 and Pac-12 canceled tomorrow. That's what I'm told this morning. Three Big 10 teams that I've spoken with said it's done. And I followed up by saying, so the SEC might go alone and bring in other schools. That's the latest. They're trying to buy time, according to my source, to see if the ACC or Big 12 will go along with them. So there you go, Jim. For those who are holding out hope for at least a football season on the field, if not fans in the stands, it is on very thin ice. A couple of conferences, as you heard there, hoping to hang on. We don't know if that'll be the case yet. According to Patrick's source, the Big Ten presidents voted 12-2 to to not play this fall. Only Nebraska and Iowa voted to play. And so once you have this happening, it's likely to be a domino effect except for the fact that they kind of isolated themselves a little while ago and saying, we're only going to play conference games. So if that's the case, then, well, there isn't a lot of crossover games left to cancel because they already did that a few weeks back. But whether this goes to all of college football, I don't know. Whether it spills over to the NFL, I don't know. Or maybe knowing the NFL, they'll just have games on Saturdays and Sundays. What do you make of this? Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Greg. My first thought is when you call Dan Patrick the greatest sports center anchor of all time, I think at least one other sports center anchor would call you the worst person in the world for, for making that assessment. Um, not entirely shocking, and yet the possibility that this could be coming down the pike very soon. Uh, deeply depressing, not just for college football fans, but for everybody who wants some additional tastes of normalcy of American life during this pandemic. Uh, we'd seen hockey get started. We'd seen the NBA get restarted. Uh, baseball had a couple bumps in the road, but they continue to keep playing the games. Things seem to be generally looking better. But football was always going to be tougher, in part because everybody is you know, bumping into each other all the time. There's just a lot more players on the team, a lot more players on the field at any given time. And as you mentioned, there have been various kind of rumblings in this direction. I think it was over the weekend. It might have been Sports Illustrated that said, yeah, they're probably going to shut down the entire college football season in the coming days. And it's a little surprising. But I think that it's not necessarily a sign that, that the NFL will similarly fold up shop. Um, I think it's pretty clear. Look, there's a difference here between professional football players and college football players. Well, you know, professional football players are generally making, I think the league minimum is something in the neighborhood of like $300,000 a year. 
And a bunch of these guys are making a million a year. And they're they're being well compensated for the risks that they're taking. We've already seen, I want to say, around 40-some, maybe 50-some NFL players say, you know what? Um, I'm just worried about exposure. I've got people in my family I don't want to expose. I've got my money. I will sit out a year, and I will come back in a year when everybody's got a vaccine or things next season will be better, and I'll take that chance because I don't want to get it. And look, these guys have reasonable concerns that, yeah, maybe they get it and they have no lingering health effects. But we saw with one of the Red Sox pitchers uh, who had aggravated a, a heart issue. You could have lingering health issues from this. I don't think they're, you know, NFL players are crazy for opting out. And then the question is, okay, what do you do with all these college players who are getting scholarships for this, but who are not getting paid millions of dollars and who might say, wait a second, wait a second, I don't want to put myself at risk for a significant health expense. Um, do I want to go out and do this? Some of these guys are going to go on to the pros, but a whole bunch of these guys aren't going to go on to the pros. And there's a question of, can you play college football safely? Can you have this many guys in the field, linemen bumping up against each other, tackling each other? You know, at some point, does the virus get spread from one person to other in a way that just isn't safe? And people have been grappling with that from, from the beginning of this pandemic and facing this question. Well, the rubber is meeting the road. It is getting to early to mid-August. If you're going to have college football, you got to, you know, either pull the trigger now and say, yes, we're going to do it. Or you got to say, look, this is just no way to do this safe. We're not going to do this. Um, And it looks like it's leaning in that direction. I think it's going to be a colossal disappointment, but I think probably understandable. I think this is, again, you know, compared to all the NBA is functioning in a way because they're doing a, a bubble. And so has the NHL. You can't do that for college football. There are just too many teams, too many places. Um, you can keep fans out of the stands. You can try to minimize. But again, one of the things that's making these two uh, winter leagues uh, function is that they're keeping people, minimizing the exposure to other people. Very tough to do with college football players. And just too many guys, too much interaction, too much chances of somebody going off to a party or, or you know interacting with somebody in some way that uh, increases the risk of exposure. I think they're going in this direction. And it's going to be enormously disappointing but it's just, you know, I think that people are putting together, just looking at the logistic and the medical risk and realizing there is not a way to play college football in a way that does not put anybody at risk for a serious infection. And it's going to be frustrating. I can see, you know, the, the phone lines lighting up on sports radio, but I can't begrudge any of these young men for saying, hey, I'm not so sure I want to go ahead with this. I'd be curious to see what the players do want here. Obviously, the uh, the university leaders uh, have their own uh, reasons for for voting the way they're going to vote here, and I guess different conferences are looking at different solutions here. Uh, Jim, I know that there was some chatter there for a while about redesigning helmets to uh, limit, hopefully, the uh, potential spread of COVID. But as we all know, the only uh, person who's ever really successfully designed a helmet to completely avoid that is Darth Vader. So that's going to be <laughs> difficult. Some of the designs did look, you know, Star Wars-y or something like that. I think it's unlikely they'll uh, be able to make a, uh, you know, giant vast change like that. By the way, the, uh, the, the consequence of this is going to be that, you know, for the 50, I don't know if you would say 100, for the top football programs in America, those are huge moneymakers for the schools. And the schools have set out their budgets kind of expecting they were going to have revenues if not full ticket revenues and all the stuff that comes from people tailgating and parking fees and buying the hot dogs and beer and the luxury boxes and all the just money hand over fist for college sports. Um, it's, you know, they're not going to have that, but at least, okay, at least we'll still have the television revenue. Well, maybe they won't have that either. And it'll be, a, you know, the, the, you know, we've talking about the, the coming collapse of higher education for a long time. 
it'd be it'd be a strange irony, but I think a very serious possibility that the end of college football coming on the heels of the cancellation of the March Madness NCAA basketball tournaments uh, would be the the trigger that basically causes some sort of giant lasting change in how not just college athletics operate, but I think higher education operates in the entire country. Uh, could be because you're probably looking at at least a delay, if not a cancellation of the coming basketball season again. It's not like they're going to be all excited to throw people into confined environments like that uh, at the start of cold and flu season, if that's what they're still concerned about. So uh, definitely ugly. And it's uh, the sports, the other sports that you don't hear a lot about, but uh, depend entirely on football revenue and maybe a little bit on basketball, if that's a big part of your athletic department. Uh, they're going to be in a world of hurt. And you've already seen some programs getting canceled in some of the, the mid-major conferences, like the uh, Mid-American Conference. You're going to see that at some of the big schools now. The uh, the low or no revenue sports on their own are going to get the axe. And the Title IX people are not going to be happy. So that's going to be an interesting fight to watch. But if you don't have football to watch, at least at the collegiate level, we'll see what the NFL does. But at the collegiate level, there's something you're going to watch, right? So you got to figure out where to watch it, what to watch. And that's where ExpressVPN can help you out a little bit here. Because in addition to making sure that your online searches are secure, ExpressVPN is also going to make sure that uh, your internet entertainment options are also secure. ExpressVPN lets you access the internet as if you're from a different country. Netflix has different shows and movies available depending on where you are. With ExpressVPN, you can unlock thousands of new shows and movies from streaming libraries around the globe. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. You can stream everything in HD quality with zero buffering. ExpressVPN is available on every device, phones, laptops, tablets, even your TV. And you can use ExpressVPN to unlock content. ExpressVPN works with many streaming services, whether it's Netflix, Amazon Prime, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, and many more. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. And it's so simple to use. Just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change your location, hit connect, and then refresh the page and the show or movie you want to watch will magically appear. You can watch things like Star Trek Discovery off of Netflix UK or Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Netflix Canada, even The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Netflix Australia. So tons of options, recent, not so recent, uh, really is you know everything you could want from all these streaming services right there at your fingertips with ExpressVPN. And if you use our link right now at expressvpn.com slash martini, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move to our second bad martini now. And urban violence once again rearing its head, this time in Chicago. Just about every Monday we're hearing the grim statistics of how many people were shot and killed over the previous weekend. But uh, now we've got an even bigger uprising there. Uh, according to Fox News, videos circulating online show widespread looting and clashes with police across Chicago's magnificent Mile Shopping District early Monday, sparked by an officer-involved shooting hours earlier that left a 20-year-old man wounded. Uh, Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown said as of Monday morning, responding units have arrested more than 100 people so far on charges ranging from disorderly conduct to battery against police. He added that 13 officers were hurt in the unrest, including a sergeant struck in the face with a bottle and an officer who had his nose broken while scuffling with a group of looters. He says, quote, this was not an organized protest. 
Rather, this was an incident of pure criminality. This was an act of violence against our police officers and against our city. And according to the story, and I think there's a number of witnesses to this as well, um, the person that got shot by the police shot at the police first. So they shot back and wounded him, yet that story is not good enough for the, the rioters, and so they're taking it out on the nice part of town, Jim, which is why we're getting lots of attention on this today. Look, this is a terrible situation, but I did kind of look at this this morning, including the reports have gotten U-Hauls. Right? Would you bring a U-Haul to the, the you know the magnificent mile? It's not. This isn't about George Floyd anymore, right? This is not about police brutality. Now you're just like, oh, this is an excuse for me to break into stores and take stuff. When Portland goes nuts, people kind of roll. I think a lot of people around the country just kind of roll their eyes. And say, ah, you know, it's Portland. You know, they, we saw Portlandia. It was always full of these weirdos. Uh, the old joke, it's where young people go to retire. Eh, you know, this is fun. Seattle and the CHOP or, or the, the, the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or whatever it was. Um, people kind of say, ah, okay, they, they've got a whole bunch of weirdo left-wingers out there and, ah, you know, really terrible, you know, uh, class divisions and well, wealthy and poor and, and uh, okay. Chicago has gun violence that is off the charts compared to most other cities. And, you know, like people used to hear, oh, my God, you see, you know, 24 people were shot last weekend. You know, uh, okay. When it happens in the downtown business district, when you see it right in these, you know, giant chain stores that everybody recognizes, when you see them raising the bridges like a scene out of one of the Batman movies that they filmed in Chicago, I'd like to think this gets people to sit up and say, oh, Okay, this isn't just the usual suspects. This isn't just, and of course, all of the gaslighting that has gone on with the, you know, mostly peaceful protesters involved in mostly peaceful rioting. Um, Ali Velshi insisting that the general, most of the demonstrators are peaceful as a building burns to the ground <laughs> behind him. Like, I think it's at the point where it's so bad, people cannot really um, grasp it. That, that, that it's, really, it's not easily denied. The spin's not going to work. The federal agents left uh, Portland and then they tried to burn down the police union uh, building. This is not about George Floyd anymore. This is not about protests. This is basically people who believe they can use violence to get what they want. And it's not politically justifiable. It is not an understanding. It's not poetic anger or whatever the heck the New York Times op-ed page called it the other day. Um, it is an egregious effort to, to basically thrive in chaos and to take advantage of city officials who are afraid to stand up for law and order, afraid to stand up for the rights of their citizens, who are basically so terrified of having a primary challenger to their left. They basically decided, I will not stand up to these people. I concede the streets to you. Um, my suspicion is that Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is not going to get another term. That basically you cannot concede the streets to the angry mobs and, uh, and then continue to, you know, like at that point, why are you mayor? Why are you in charge? What are you doing there? But hey, she's really cracking down on those beach parties, Greg. Yeah, absolutely. Putting up snow fences now to make sure that people don't uh, violate social distancing guidelines along Lake Michigan on the beach. So uh, good to see that she's got her priorities in order here. And it just goes back. I know we've talked about this before. It's not that hard to say we need to uh, take steps to make sure situations like the George Floyd incident don't happen again, but you can't burn down your city. But they can't make that distinction because, just like you said, they're too worried that there's a growing force on the left and uh, that they're going to get beat from the left in their next election. And if that's the type of leader you are, then you're not really a leader and you don't deserve to be reelected. But if you're on the Magnificent Mile, uh, breaking windows and stealing stuff and putting them in your U-Haul is one way to save money. Uh, but there are better ways out there. <laughs> but we don't endorse it. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
we are. It's a bad way to save money. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's the wrong way to save money. Thank you for clarifying that, Jim. We always have to be careful about that. But there are good ways to save money, and we all want to do that legally, especially now. So when's the last time you looked at how much, for example, you're spending every month on car insurance or homeowner's insurance? Well, now's the time to check out Gabby and see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. You just link your current insurance account, and in about two minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. Gabby customers save $825 per year on average, and if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing you already have the best rate that is out there. And they will never sell your information, so there'll be no annoying spam or robocalls. And so, as I've said, it's a very simple process. I think there's about 10 little things you have to fill in, but it really just takes a couple minutes because you should know your name, you should know where you live, you should know how old you are, and uh, and that sort of thing. And then you, after you plug in all that information, you link to your existing account, uh, it does its uh, comparisons, and the next thing you know, you see what you're paying now compared to uh, what you could be paying with all these other providers. Now, when I went through it, I was happy to see that I'm pretty good with what I've got right now, so I didn't need to make any change. But like Jim said, it's good to know that. Uh, It's good to know that when you stack up against all the others, you've already got a pretty good rate. And as you put in that personal information, it's also really good to know that they're going to protect that info and they're not going to sell it or bother you uh, with those spam or robocalls. So it is totally free. No obligation. Again, totally free to check your rate. No obligation. Take two minutes right now to see how much you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And as we look at the left and what's happening in the streets, uh, I saw one story. I think it was on Politico today about how San Francisco liberals have essentially gone mainstream with folks like Pelosi being obviously powerful as Speaker in the House, Gavin Newsom, Governor of California, Kamala Harris now uh, possibly being the choice of uh, Joe Biden to be the running mate. But one person who's a San Francisco Democrat is pouring cold water on the idea of Harris being in the number two slot, and that would be former San Francisco Mayor Willie Brown. He used to be on cable news all the time, but he's getting up there in age now, so he doesn't make as many public appearances as he used to. He says this to the San Francisco Chronicle, quote, being picked for the vice presidency is obviously a huge honor. And if Biden wins, Harris would make history by being the first woman to hold the job. But the glory would be short lived. And historically, the vice presidency has often ended up being a dead end. He says instead, she should try to angle to be attorney general if Biden wins, saying the attorney general has legitimate power. From atop the Justice Department, the boss can make a real mark on everything from police reform to racial justice to prosecuting corporate misdeeds. And the attorney general gets to name every U.S. attorney in the country. That's power, unquote. It's also terrifying to think of Kamala Harris in that position. But, Jim, do you think he's really giving her interesting and helpful career advice? Or is Willie Brown looking to avoid a lot of coverage of his affair with Kamala Harris from back in the 90s. There's a 31-year age gap there. He was married, of course, at the time. And uh, I'm not sure that either he or Harris would particularly enjoy having those questions over and over again. Well, let's just say you're having a rough day, your Monday, the week has not gotten off to the kind of you know start you wanted. Could be worse. You could be Kamala Harris right now. 
you, you think you're doing all right. You're you're down, allegedly down to the final two. It's you and Susan Rice, and you're like, oh, you know. And then you, you know, boom, your your morning paper arrives on the stump. <laughs> it's Willie Brown saying, "I don't think Kamala Harris should become the, uh, the the running mate of Joe Biden." And you're just sitting there thinking, "Willie, could you just shut your mouth? <laughs> could you just just stay away? Just just hide? Just go all? We're all supposed to be isolated. Go quarantine yourself somewhere. How are you managing to get out and send out these columns reminding everyone of this thing that Kamala Harris and Willie Brown had going on?" I. She has almost never said anything about it, as far as I can tell. So my assumption is either she's embarrassed by it or for obvious reasons, she does not want further attention on this. The fact that Willie Brown jumps out and says, hey, she shouldn't take the running mate. First of all, if she, nobody turns down the running mate. Hey, would you like to be a heartbeat away from the presidency when that heartbeat is Joe Biden's? <laughs> You got a really good chance of being president someday. Like one of the reasons the Veep selection process is getting such intense scrutiny. And I have a sneaking suspicion. One of the reasons it seems to be a bit on the slower side compared to historically, you look back the recent cycles, you know, very often they get picked in July. Not always. Sometimes it goes into August. But Biden's getting to the later side of this. And the sneaking suspicion is, is that this is a very difficult choice for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which being this is probably picking the 47th president. Right now, the polling looks pretty darn good for Joe Biden. And the long-term actuarial table issue for Joe Biden isn't looking great. Even if he manages to you know, to live for four years, and I hope he lives to be 100, I hope the man does fine, um, that if he, if he does keel over, God forbid, uh, even if he doesn't keel over, he still will probably not be running for a second term. He'd be past 80 at that point. And so the vice president would presumably have the inside shot at being the uh, uh, you know, getting the Democratic nomination and perhaps winning full election himself or herself in uh, in 2024. So by that light, this is a really huge deal. And if you're Kamala Harris and that rumor is true that, you know, at minimum, you're on the short list. Maybe it's down to you and somebody else who's never run for office before. That's a really good chance. And I'm sure right now, Kamala Harris, or you know, at some point, she's, if, if this came to her attention, and I think it's almost certain that it did, she probably was screaming at the newspaper or screaming at her internet screen or screaming at the TV screen saying, Willie Brown, please go away! Because this is not the kind of attention she needs right now. We'll see if, if this affects the thinking of Joe Biden, but uh, if you're having a lousy day, trust me, she's probably having a worse one. All right, Jim, so let's say hypothetically that Kamala Harris is the choice. Is the media reaction and Democrats going to be one of these three things or a combination of two or all three of these? Number one, it was 25 years ago, around 1995, that they had this affair. So technically, it's actually before Clinton Lewinsky. Number two, uh, they'll try to figure out a way that adultery isn't that big of a deal. Or three, that she had to do this. It wasn't right, but she had to do it because of the patriarchal system. It was the only way she could get ahead. Oh, I, I think number three is the most dangerous option. I, th I think a combination of it was a long time ago. This is nobody's business but theirs. And probably a lot of but Trump also. Uh, they'll, they'll probably say, you know, oh, look what giant hypocrites uh, the Republicans have been, yada, yada, yada. I do think at some point, the interesting thing will be they've managed to keep Biden hidden or, or minimal interactions with the press, right? You know, Joe Biden's not sitting down for the Chris Wallace interviews. He's not sitting for the Jonathan Swan interviews. And when he does do these, you know, what seemed like not terribly tough interviews at the National Association of Black and, and Latino or Black and Hispanic journalists, et cetera, he manages to create some gaps. Um, and he manages to create some some you know controversies and sounds kind of cringe-inducing in his discussion of racial issues and things like that. Um, 
you're not going to be able to, you know, like, so you're like, okay, they're hiding her. If you pick Kamala Harris, there's no reason she can't do interviews. She's on the Senate half the time, right? So, so there's no reason she should be hiding as well. And so the next question would be, does, you know, Kamala Harris get some of the tougher questions and stuff like that? I think, though, if, she, if, if Kamala Harris is the selection, most of the media will simply pretend her entire presidential campaign didn't happen. Uh, and, or, or they'll alternately tell you, she came so close, Greg. You know, she really was gaining momentum and she just, you know, she ran out of money. Wasn't that the problem? You know, I, I, I'm sure she did, but she ran out of money because she was not that good a candidate. That's, you know, That's true. Those two things tend to intertwine. True, Jim. I don't think a lot of the mainstream media have any intention of asking either one of them a tremendous number of hard questions. I think for the most part, they're going to uh, try and throw out softballs and, and get them across the finish line. But maybe I'm just being cynical. They will. But the great irony with Biden is that, you know, you, you try a softball. <laughs> And the what, next what thing you, you think know, is a softball, he may not respond to as if it's a softball. So. Yes. When you ask, are you going to reach out to Hispanics and you get that answer, that, uh, that means there is no such thing as a softball, which could, which could make the last few weeks here pretty fun. Uh, Jim, good Monday. See, even though we didn't have any good martinis, actually. But uh, better luck tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget our two great sponsors, expressvpn.com slash martini and Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Leave us a kind review with five stars, please. Get us on those home devices by saying play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And most of all, please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.